नमस्ते सो वी हैव स्पोकन अबाउट द ह्यूमन एस्पिरेशन एंड द ओमनी प्रेजेंट रियालिटी एंड द वेज मैन हैज ट्राइड टू फॉर्म ए रिलेशन विद इट वन थ्रू द रिफ्यूजल of the ascetic who, who refuses completely the universe and try to enter into the one pole of existence where he gets first to the supreme existence and then beyond all existence into the non being and the other is where the materialist tries to dig deep into matter and he too enters into a state of nihil or nothingness a void out of which magically this universe seems to emerge so it leaves us with this question that what really is our destiny what path we must follow so here shurvindo reveals to us that since this it is this omnipresent reality which is a state of unity and oneness it is this which has manifested the universe and it is this which has created individuals therefore the individual also must recover these two terms of our own existence in his individual life neither the annulment of the ascetic nor the nihil of the materialist is our goal but to use an expression to be even as the divine in the world is our supreme destiny and this is what we should follow there is a possibility that we can embody this supreme reality and as well as its cosmic movement with its many fold activities the reason why we need to emphasize this is because in a kind of vedantic understanding we are told that we must annul our individuality individuality is only a um a state which a, a kind of intermediary process that nature has created but the real purpose is to annul this individuality step back from ego name and form and discover the transcendent and annul itself in it obviously as we have seen if that was god's purpose in the world there would not have been any world at all because originally that was the state already so individualities have been created for a purpose and that purpose is just as the divine that one reality manifests itself in the universe the individual actually grows through the universe and the universe grows through the individual now this is the what we see in the next chapter man in the universe there is a kind of interdependence let's take for example earth has been important in the formation ultimately of all life including the human life but equally the human consciousness by its growth development evolution gives a new understanding of earth itself so earth begins to understand itself if we want to put it that way the through the individual so as the individual consciousness advances the universe advances so we can look at the universe like a huge many many uh, many kinds of pathways in it criss crossing like a huge ball with many criss crossing roots and the individual as he journeys through these roots he discovers something of himself through the universe and as he discovers something of himself he also enriches the universe because there was some possibility something concealed in the universe which begins to become manifest within him so in that sense these three terms of the divine existence we have to reclaim 
ordinarily it is uh, told to us it is believed that once one discovers the transcendent the whole purpose of an individuality is over and all that is required is to annul oneself but here shubindra brings a thought a new thought to an extent consistent with the gita and the great teaching of the isha upanishad that individualities were not created to be annulled in the transcendent but to manifest the transcendent so he brings in this um, new dimension about the world that it's not a maya which is meant to delude us or in some way just a meaningless illusion but it is a leela where the divine is expressing himself through these two terms one is the universe and the second is the individual and it is the linchpin is the individuality where both these terms can be reclaimed so we can reclaim our universality what what is meant by that just to uh, touch upon it normally let's say any force knowledge or love or iksha shakti par you know iksha shakti is one way of looking at it uh, it expresses within us and the moment it enters the ego individuality we think it's mine it's me who loves and it's somebody else whom we love knowledge we gain through the sensory data sensory experience and we believe this is now my knowledge which i have acquired it by certain kinds of effort but by reclaiming universality is understood that we the all these forces take an individual form within an individual but they are working universally love the possibility of love and knowledge is not exhausted in man or one man they are working in different ways in the entire universe and if we can universalize our consciousness which is a possibility envisaged by yoga by stepping back from the ego individuality and entering into the sense of the universe into the vaster extension of consciousness then we can become aware of the action of these forces in different different ways in uh, this entire creation so it gives us a new way of understanding and new way of acting in this world take for example when a scientist studies a plant or an object he studies it from the surface and then he keeps on digging and discovers let's say for instance the various forces which are acting within it but then when we enter into the universal consciousness state of oneness we discover that the same forces are working in different ways in the entire universe take for example the principle of jala we'll talk about it when we come to the chapter on conscious force so this principle which is a liquid state now liquid state is not just about water but it's a state in which there is attraction and repulsion which is one of the conditions for formation of forms itself so this tendency is there even at a human psychological level and at its highest it takes the form of the whole water being upheaving to the moon which is our entire nature trying to leap up to the divine consciousness and recover its supreme form so there is in all these forces there is a oneness the force that informs the tiger and the force that informs the deer uh, though they take to different appearances the tiger is spraying and the deer is spraying the man who has to escape yet they are the same force it changes a comp- our understanding of the entire not just of universe but of the whole play very differently ordinarily we have the the center is the ego so that's what he reveals in the next chapter the ego and the dualities so what is the error that ego makes it exaggerates in two directions one direction is that ego believes the whole universe 
and everybody in it and of course even god must center ego is the center and around which this play must take place so this is the ordinary normal state of um, you know our relation with regard to the universe when we base it on the ego so um, the result is a false uh, stress on value shobindra speaks of these two errors he says that the brahman pours as much energy in the uh, you know making of a galaxy as in the formation of a wave Uh, it's not exclusively acting upon one particular individual or centering around him. This is obviously false, and he speaks of this illusion of quantity and this illusion of quality. So, illusion of quantity is that the mountain is bigger than, you know, an ant. Uh, but well, we know that qualitatively, ant has something which the mountain doesn't have. And equally, the illusion of quality can be there that you know a particular quality which is exaggerated in in somebody or an individual is itself something uh, makes him a thing apart. But this same quality we find spread out in the universe in different ways. So once we get rid of these illusions, then we discover that ego individuality has a false perception of life. And Shubhendra gives a very beautiful example of the senses. giving us a false report which is yet useful for the moment but they do not give us an accurate account of things for example uh, we ordinarily every day uh, believe that the earth is static and uh, the sun is moving around but it is not true it is required but the senses report all the time to us sun rises in the east sun rises in the west and the senses do not give the data that it's the earth which is moving so at next level we discover that it is not the sun but the earth which is moving but there is a still greater level at which we can go beyond the cosmos and then we discover that the sun and the earth are just changing their relations with respect to each other even the sun is moving and the earth is moving so there is this constant motion because of which there is a kind of relation which is changing between different variables in this cosmos so basically as long as we live in the ego and we live by the uh, reporting of the senses we cannot find the real meaning of our own existence in the cosmos so all um, all the we see vedantic literature and spiritual knowledge bids us to come out of the ego but then we can make another exaggeration there are people you know you must have seen they 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 make a big picture of space and then they say you know where you are like the carl sagan picture um this this earth which is small little dot and in this dot there is a human being who is a, who is an insignificant speck so it says that look you know if the ego and reality is not there in fact there is nothing we are nothing but dust this is another kind of exaggeration because in this individual upon this insignificant dot there is a leela which is going on and unfolding it is through this individual that the supreme seeks to manifest himself because this is something unique to man so both exaggerations on one side the ego exaggerating itself as none else but god and everything must move around it is one kind of exaggeration on the other hand this that we are nothing but a speck and you know uh, we must realize it and therefore we must uh, live accept and acknowledge that we are nothing but uh, let's say bubbles on time sea that is another kind of exaggeration so shubhendra reminds us that uh, this is not the uh, correct relation we need to discover the true relation now because ego looks at the entire world and all its events based on its own 
personal standpoint, which is essentially a standpoint about what gives its pleasure and what gives its pain. And though this standpoint has its own meaning, as we shall see later on, but yet because of this standpoint, the entire values of the world are falsified, leading to a misunderstanding. Say, for example, somebody goes through pain or a painful experience because something that one cherished is snatched away. Now, when we look at it from the egoistic standpoint, we uh, will draw all kinds of conclusion, including including that, you know, um, I received pain, God has punished me and 101 kind of different conclusions. But when we look at it that what really is the divine will doing in this universe, then the conclusions may well change and we may just uh, discover that that event which was giving me pain actually was an event which was filling me with wisdom, strength and a new way of looking at the world. So there is this famous story of a several stories like that but one of them is that there is this uh, empress and whose uh, beautiful chinese mirror well let's not say chinese mirror beautiful indian mirror well why can't it be indian mirror so it uh, broke down it fell from a um, wall where it was hung because the dasi was cleaning it and it fell down and broke so this dasi this slave girl felt that you know now my life is in danger. I'll definitely be checked out and maybe beheaded. She goes to the empress and says, I'm so sorry this has happened. And the expensive mirror that you got for yourself, I broke it accidentally or whatever. And then she hangs her head waiting for the verdict. So the empress stays quiet for a while. And then she says, wonderful, it has happened so. Every day this mirror used to flatter me. And I am so happy that this mirror is broken because now the one thing that used to flatter me is gone. So I can look inside, turn within and discover my real beauty and who I really am. So ego gives a false value of things and therefore it creates dualities of good and bad, pleasure and pain. Though they are needed at a stage of development because if prematurely we get rid of the ego individuality enter into the cosmic consciousness, it can be completely, it can dislocate us. We may be, uh, a whole mass of experiences may rush into our consciousness and we won't be able to handle it. That's why ego individuality has been created. But there comes a time when this, the purpose of this individuality has been served and the individual getting rid of the ego can yet continue to be a powerful instrument of action or the divine unfolding upon earth so he knows that well this individuality or let's use this word that this ego individuality is not me but simply an instrument meant for the uh, fulfillment of the divine in life so that's where shirobindo says to fulfill god in life is man's manhood this is our true purpose so how do we arrive at this conclusion how did the ancient vedantic seers arrived at it. So, Shubindu starts with first reason and he says normally, how do we arrive at knowledge? So, there is this chapter on the methods of Vedantic knowledge. How do we normally arrive at knowledge? Through the sensory apparatus, we get the input. Senses are the first means of knowledge. Then we have the sixth sense, the sense mind or the mind, which picks up all the data and then the discerning intellect applies itself on it and draws its conclusion. So, this is the ordinary way of looking at a data and then reason draws its conclusion let's say that if it looks that if it sees that war is going on and there is a lot of destruction it may well say that well 
there is uh, probably no god and it's this world is made only for eating or by hunger which is death this world has been created by death because uh, you know one sees death as a certainty though life is also a certainty but once picks up that and draws a conclusion that death is the only thing which is certain about life not realizing that death is a now you see the reason can have a, another movement that's what shirbindo says the same data now reason can have a very different movement which is a pure reason say for instance we see death and reason can draw this conclusion which seems very valid that well life actually is nothing else but death a food for death and ultimately death is the only reality which is there in this creation but if the same data we broaden the view then we see that death is not only there there is also life and constantly with death there is life being created in the human body in the cosmos stars are born stars collapse new stars come into existence they are necessary it's not an arbitrary thing because the balance of creation necessitates the emergence of new stars forget all that just look at the human population i mean look at the human population that if death is the only reality look at how the population is growing life is being created now it's okay it may not be an individual life form but the fact is that ultimately in the race of life and death life seems to be the one which is the victor not only in terms of quantity but also in terms of quality look you know there have been six pralayas in one pralaya there were just 5000 human beings left when there was this asteroid which had hit uh, or the ice age sorry i ice age and the second one when there was a massive volcanic eruption and there was 1000 just human beings left and yet life conquered so the same data if we look at from another point of view that look life not only conquers but it becomes victorious it takes the challenge of death and it evolves due to death death because of the constant uh, you know as shubindra described death is a whiplash to spur us towards a deathless state so when we look at the same data and apply reason in another way pure reason then we are in for another kind of uh, paradigm it's a complete paradigm shift take another example when we uh, look at uh, you know normally neurologists and uh, you know doctors tend to say that consciousness is because of the brain and the human brain we are the only conscious creatures well that's uh, even otherwise not true but when we look at the way the plants act when we look at the way the animal creations act then we are bound to conclude that no there is an intelligent force which is operating behind everything it just that the um uh, the creature is not conscious so first the vedantic seers applied this kind of a pure reason which we must awaken within ourselves and the second is that he says out of reason we must leap towards intuition so they discovered that when we quieten the reason and this rush of sensory data which impacts us and stirs the emotional mind to draw quick judgments when we quieten it then there is the awakening of intuition and this intuition is valid because i'll take let's take another example god exists or not now how are we going to resolve this argument rationally we can say this way or that way both but equally if we consult our heart now there are people who would say this is a wishful thinking 100 things they may say but ultimately if we feel in our heart a kind of intuitive sense that look at this creation and this stupendous enormous uh, vast expanse of network of stars just nothing else forget about the complexity of things which are happening on earth 
do we really conclude that uh, what does our intuitive sense tell us is it just a creation without a creator is it just an unintelligible mass of things emerging out of nothingness so a, there is an intuitive sense within us which also feels that there is um, as we had read in the very first chapter divination of godhead and it is because of this there is an aspiration where does aspiration come from aspiration for beauty for perfection for immortality so this intuitive sense the vedantic seers had developed and it is through intuition that they dis- discovered the reality and why because this reality operates intuitively when we look at the entire creation how does this knowledge work in this creation it doesn't work through rational logical steps that we would conclude it uses the most apparently Uh, you know insignificant materials to build significant things purely through intuition it's like the eye of an artist is just filling uh, a map and a picture uh, moved by something deeper than his surface reason and he ends up creating marvel so uh, discovery of intuition development of intuition was primarily the method of vedantic knowledge so what did they discover so we see the whole thing is flowing so what did they really discover first they discovered that there is a pure existent now uh, if we look at these next 4 5 chapters chapter 9 10 11 12 so this is all basically shubindo is taking sachidananda and each part of it he is revealing to us in his own way so pure existent is sat it's not existence but existent so one who exists so it's a being there is there a pure existence when we look at this world we will see that there is constant change so one thing we know that there is a dance going on in nature with rhythm or without rhythm and in various ways stupendous dance so this we know but is it taking place without any reference to anything so the next thing we say that the reference point is space and time the dance creates time and that that basis is space so the next question is that where is this space really located it's a strange question because there is not one but many spaces so if we take that standpoint where is space located then even uh, we are forced to conclude that there is a state of there is existence which in which space tends to expand itself and what is the nature of this existence is it finite is it infinite so the moment we say it is a finite existence then the question is just pushed one step backward it's like people who say how was god born so this question you know is an absurdity because the moment you say by this then the question is how was that born and that born so at the end we meet an infinity so there is an infinite existence call it sat purush call it sat which is there behind this entire creation and it's conjured in the image of shiva and kali so shiva forms the stable basis on which the dance is taking place kali's dance and it's the shiva's presence which stabilizes the dance of kali and on a very gross level at a material level though matter is not the stable basis uh, because matter itself is constantly within it there is a change taking place we understand that you know when these uh, dancers actually go to dance in the indian setting so they uh, touch the earth and bhumi and they uh, pray uh, we also when we used to get up in the morning we were taught uh, bhumi ko touch kar you know bhumi pujan is very important because that is 
providing the basis for stable basis for all other that will be erected upon it for the dance that will take place so similarly there is a stable basis behind this entire dance and that stable basis is the pure sat pure existent so this is one um truth that we need to know and all existences are derived from him can we discover him individually yes we can discover individually we have to only raise this question to ourselves by sort of interiorizing and witnessing that who am i so we see all this nature thoughts feelings various things which are coming up rising falling mood states of consciousness various experiences flooding the senses but then who is the one who is experiencing take uh, one example people wake up in the morning sometimes and say i dreamt so the next question should be who was the dreamer who was watching the dream then similarly with senses it becomes very easy that well i saw this what about thought people say i was thinking who is this i who was thinking so when we look at like this and go backward and backward with this famous question who am i we will discover the same thing that we all have within us a bedrock of existence which actually touches something infinite we can't limit it we can't reduce it just to one limited individuality or personality that we call as ourselves today and that is true of everything if we go to its root we discover this infinite existence but what of this conscious force that is the next um, chapter this stupendous dance which is taking place now we start with that this is force science also admit this is force so it calls it energy call it whatever doesn't matter and it says that there is this tremendous force this energy which is all the time creating 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 and absorbing things back into itself in this stupendous dance in this stupendous activity so science uses the word that it is a mechanical jad prakriti but there is nothing in it which gives the impression that it's a jad prakriti because if it's really mechanical energy then human being should be nothing else but automatons or robots but there is through this dance something else which is happening and that is evolution of conscious thought and if we go still further evolution of intelligence so in sankhya philosophy shobindo reveals it here we have this explanation of um, you know this nature uh, through the panch mahabhut so what really is this the first principle there are different principles which have emerged in the course of creation the first is a vast infinite extension in space where there is constantly a state of rhythmic vibration though that's the initial nad but nad swar itself by itself it can keep extending space you see when sound is thrown any sound even human sound if it doesn't meet with an obstacle actually it will keep traveling infinitely so that's the basis you know these uh, people who use this uh, doppler uh, Uh, by which they can actually know how far a vehicle has gone it is used for traffic regulation even for finding the vehicle what was the speed of the vehicle at which it was going but if there is no obstruction it will continue traveling infinitely how will it build a form so there has to be something which creates an obstruction so there is another principle emerges out of this first primal vibration of sound the principle of aerial principle so what it does it expands and contracts so it creates that sense of it disturbs see anything which is traveling uh, without any obstruction suddenly obstruct there is a contraction it is impeded 
Then again you release. There is an expansion. So it creates a disturbance. Shob. Shob as it is called in Hindi. So because of that shob, that uh, aerial principle, we see that there is some kind of a uh, differentiation which begins. Now, but that is not enough to create forms. So there is the principle of light, heat, electricity. So that becomes a means to bring it closer. You see, when uh, to to try to bring some kind of a cohesion. That's why you see when people speak about how matter was formed from that state of gas. It was nothing but gaseous state. So actually we can see even at a physical level that's how it happened. So this gas which was spinning at amazing speed. There is within it, you know, this fire which emerges. There is this, uh, you know, electrical discharges, lightnings, tremendous. Which begin to uh, attract or pull certain... Uh, vibration, certain movements towards itself. That's how we see, you know, nucleuses are formed and that's how the first forms begin to uh, emerge. So that is the principle of Agni. That's why Agni is the knower of all births, Agni, Jatvedas. But even this cannot create stable forms. So the next principle which um, further modifies it, there is, there is only one principle which is being modified. So what is that principle? He will reveal in another chapter. Um, it is Sadvastu. So out of that, there is a further modification and this tendency for first forms to flow like a jelly. So they begin to flow. As soon as they are created, they get modified and they begin to flow. So as they begin to flow, there is... What is born is, how will they flow? So there is, the, there is the force of attraction and repulsion which makes them flow. But still they are not yet solid and then comes the last or the gravitational pull, the power of cohesion, the force of cohesion. And this force of cohesion actually binds things together and really gives rise to what today we experience as concrete matter. But even then, it doesn't, it wouldn't explain that how we perceive things the way we perceive. So Sankhya also brought in the five elements, uh, five senses. Each sense corresponds to one principle. So for example, we have this uh, uh, aerial principle. First the space, the ether. So we have the sound. And we have again the aerial principle. So we have the touch, you know. The first touch you can feel. Actually, if you develop sensitivity to touch, you can experience things from afar. Even before an illness enters, uh, it's just a question of developing it. In fact, in um, in villages, they say, Hawa lag gai hai. It's a way of saying that they uh, something has come and it has touched the person, brushed aside and you can experience it. So this is the second touch. And then when the heat and light, uh, they begin then sight through which we perceive it. It receives that light and uh, that's how the light principle, the, the third sense. And then the um, flow the water so that becomes taste so you taste through the taste um, uh, you can receive this uh, liquid principle um, the, the water principle jala principle so in taste you know that's why this word taste is interestingly used even to uh, describe attractions and repulsions among, at a psychological level say so, you no know, I don't have a taste for that <laughs> So true, because you are actually it's the same principle which is operating, attractions and repulsions, which are question of you know which are um, uh, basically the water principle, and then finally the earth principle. So it is received through the sense of smell. That's why you see one of the things which is most fascinating, um, invigorating to human beings is the first rain. So what happens when the first rain falls upon earth? You get a peculiar smell, 
and it is like recreating that original sense of the universe so each of these five senses receive but even that does not uh, explain individuality so um, sankhya brought in this element of mahat which is a vast expansion and uh, the ahankar the sense of individuality that's how it explained and then finally the intelligence um, which actually reflects these things within itself so intelligence belongs to the purusha uh of course purusha is nothing to do with men women are as intelligent more intelligent but it has to do with the principle of intelligence which in which the movements of prakriti are reflected so when we go this way we end up seeing that this stupendous dance is not just a meaningless dance who is the one who created all this uh, around whom this dance is taking place is that really an unconscious force mechanical force material force is the constitution of atom forget about all this sankhya just look at an atom the way it's organized nothing but crystallography is it really unconscious force or there is a constant uh, one can look at it and see that there is an idea and intelligence which is expressing itself so we end up with this conclusion uh, shubhendra of course takes a step by step that there is a conscious force in existence so we have now sat we have chit or chit tapas conscious force and then finally we have ananda which we see in the next two chapters of chapter 11 and 12 that the third element of sachidanand is anand so again in the traditional uh, saying it is said that um, the brahman was forced to create because of desire or maya or whatever principle now that is like saying it is no more brahman because the brahman is absolute nothing can really compel it except its own delight so the it is delight which is expressing itself in creation and then the problem comes so the chapter is titled delight of existence the problem so what is the problem if delight is expressing itself why do we experience pleasure and pain why is there evil so of course shubhendra says that first of all let's not exaggerate even our normal cognitive experience is this that why pain creates a sense of anomaly because our general state if you look at any life the sum total honest impartial without getting emotional about it just the moments string together just the moment not the way mind hangs on to it we will see that the moments of joy are many many more i mean almost 95% if i have to use an arbitrary mathematical figure and precisely because it's a undercurrent and because of that men want to live despite all the challenges of life and because of this undercurrent the moment pain comes it's like an anomaly why is there pain this is the first way to understand it second is that we normally uh, pose a, then the next problem is ethical that if there is a creator why he created pain at all so that is resolved in vedanta by saying that it's not he is sitting out there and creating human beings uh, or this earth but he has become this creation so he himself experiences otherwise he'll be like he is immune from all this and he is making us suffer well the eternal suffers in a human form he takes all into himself and transmutes it and keep on releasing into this world so this is the second aspect it resolves the ethical difficulty and yet the question comes why there is still there is whatever small uh, minuscule or for he himself why has he chosen to you know take this suffering and evil whatever amount it may be so there the answer is that there are incidents and conditions in the Uh, manifestation that he has willed and that's where we see delight of um, 
existence the solution we have to get rid of this false perception false relation to the world false relation to god that he is sitting out there arbitrarily judging us through that kind of karmic law and then we will discover that all this creation is nothing else but the unfolding the leela of sachidanand and we have a role in it because all of us are miniature sachidanands only we know it not and as we discover this miniature sachidanand within us and united with that true existence true consciousness force true delight then we can play and fulfill our role in this universe so this is the essence of these chapters and i'll now pick up um, i'll just read something the liberation of the individual soul is therefore the key note of the definitive divine action so we are here uh, there is so much focus on liberation liberation means this false perception of things false value false stress it is the primary divine necessity and the pivot it is the point of light at which the intended complete self manifestation in the many begins to emerge so this is the difference in shubindo's yoga that in shubindo's thought that liberation is only the first step as we get liberated we become capable of truly participating in the divine manifestation if we are ourselves in caught up in that state of uh, you know duality trapped by the senses then we are really not ready but the liberated soul extends its perception of unity horizontally as well as vertically so this soul uh liberates itself extends itself in similar liberated souls as the animal reproduces itself in similar bodies the moment an individual is liberated his consciousness is no more confined to the cage of the body and the ego so it tends to extend and very interestingly that's why many of these seers these gurus real masters i am saying who had found the way um those whom they took up as disciples in whom they started reproducing their state they that was called as guru kul it was a new uh, identity that one discovered why because what was the guru really doing he was not just telling us a method that is only an excuse but guru was extending a state of consciousness into the individual and all the methods were literally meant to become receptive and open to his influence that's exactly what shubindo says ultimately in shubindo's yoga what is the method he says open to the mother and receive her influence because then that state can be transmitted to us directly there is another very very powerful uh, mahavakya as i would say in this chapter on man in the universe the ascent to the divine life is the human journey this i feel is something which you should write it inscribe within and put it on the wall it's something so powerful because all the time we get confused what is my goal what is my aim what am i here to do well this is what we are here to do all else is an incidence all else are situations and events and circumstances which will change but what is the goal the ascent to the divine life is the human journey the work of works the acceptable sacrifice is using the word acceptable because basically anyways life is a sacrifice whether you like it or not um world extracts from us nature extracts from us because it's the nature of things that there is a oneness so whether we like it or even if we shut ourselves in a room interact with nobody and nothing still life will extract its share from us because that's the very nature uh, of of this creation so, but the acceptable sacrifice the one that is acceptable to the divine is that when we strive for the ascent to the divine life otherwise people say all my life i sacrifice myself to the children family what did i get 
what did God give me? So why do you expect God to give you anything? You are, you are sacrificed for children. Honestly speaking, children should give you something. And if they didn't give it uh, anything to you, it's a good lesson at least they gave. That <laughs> life went a waste. If this life was sacrificed for the higher good, even with children, it should be the same attitude that not to my child, but to the divine in the child. Because he too is a, we are like trustee. That's what Yagnamal says. One loves the wife, for the, not for the sake of the wife, but for the sake of the self, the higher self. One loves the child, not for the sake of the child, but for the higher self. So when we lead life as a sacrifice in which everything becomes a means for disclosure of the divine within us, the ascent to the divine life, then that is the acceptable sacrifice. This alone is man's real business in the world. This is a business, <laughs> original business. <laughs> and the justification of his existence, without which he would be only an insect crawling among other ephemeral insect, insects on a speck of surface mud and water, which has managed to form itself amidst the appalling immensities of the physical universe. So when we have this picture of this man dot on the dot, it only applies if we are really living only for the sake of our personal comfort and egoistic pleasures. Then yes, it is true that we are nothing else but an insect, like an insect also has a space, insect also feeds, it also builds sometimes, you know, white ants build skyscrapers by their standards. And ants provide for three generations by their standards. Exactly the same activity like man. But there is something which the ants and uh, nobody in the creation can do. Not even the gods incidentally. And that is ascent to the divine life and manifesting the divine upon earth. This is the purpose for which we are here. The animal and why it is given to man? The animal is satisfied with the modicum of necessity. The gods are content with their splendors. So there was a time, that's why often I say, uh, jokingly that you know of course it is said in a way that when uh, there are some um, sometimes you are born only for bhoga of your past experiences you know what good you have done so that is called bhogyoni so when it is bhogyoni you are born in um, America or England and whatever now no more now everywhere you have to compel to do yoga but you are uh, you know enjoying the fruits of your like a paradisal note. But when you are born to, when you have to take, evolve further, to take one step further, yogyoni, then you are born in India. Because here you uh, are born with, may not be a silver or gold spoon in your mouth, but certainly the um, premvati, that hookah of, <laughs> that uh, ghuti of yoga is given to us right from birth in one way or the other. So, the animal is satisfied with the modicum of necessity. The gods are content with the splendors. Too satisfied a person cannot turn to God. Because he is just too happy. That's why when God looks upon him, Oh, your time has come. So he often shakes him out of that comfort zones. This man, it is the son of man who is supremely capable of incarnating God. This son is the manu, the thinker, the manomaya purusha. Mental person or soul in mind of the ancient sages. No mere superior mammal is he, but a conceptive soul basing itself on the animal body in matter. But for that he has not to discard the human body, but use it as a footstool and even as a means eventually of manifesting the divine truth. Just as God himself uses the earth or matter as his footstool. Padabhyam Prithvi. That we read yesterday. So, 
this is then of course there is the ego and the dualities where shirvindu reminds us that we have to um rediscover our right relation with the universe and with god and we cannot do it unless we get rid of this sense of the ego but doing it prematurely is dangerous it has to be done at the right time and in the right way doing it prematurely is to enter into a state of madness we know this story shri ramakrishna would use the word pakka ami and kachami also you can say pakka ami and kachami if you want to put it like that so when there is uh, when the time is ripe the egg is ready then the chick must come out if the time is not ripe and prematurely it is done there are people in whom ego shell breaks prematurely and then what happens they come out of a state of duality but enter into a vague cosmic unity where truth and falsehood gets mixed and they are the one who become mad because they cannot understand anything that is happening to them they are suddenly it's like throwing a fish from the pond into the ocean it's not a very comfortable thing to be though you may say oh fish i am giving you a wonderful status look now you belong to the ocean among the elite fishes but it will be just swallowed up that's it so there is a reason why there is a formation of ego and the sense of duality through which we grow but there comes a time when we must uh, get rid of it and discover the true self within us so how it is to be done that he reveals to us we have the dissolution of this egoistic construction by the self opening of the individual to the universe and to god as the means of that supreme fulfillment to which egoistic life is only a prelude even as animal life was only a prelude to the human so egoistic life is a step and then from there we open to cosmos even that you know gets us rid of the ego sense one of the simplest ways to get rid of the ego sense is to travel many of the things which we think you know is so important and we we really discover that none of that is so important uh, it's a very different way the people look at life very differently and it helps us to understand yes we may have our own way of looking at life and we should have but now we understand it's not exclusive or this not the only way that we can look at life so there is it brings a kind of wideness um which is very compelling for the ego sense to come out of its limitation and of course there is another way which is love and you know through love we step out of the boundaries of the ego and then finally of course it is uh, god uh, and when we turn to the divine this uh, we come out of the ego egoistic life and it opens the door to the supreme fulfillment we have the realization of the all in the individual by the transformation of the limited ego into a conscious center of the divine unity and freedom as the term of which the fulfillment arrives so we don't discard it the ego gets transformed into a conscious instrument of the divine meaning thereby after all what is the ego ego is simply makes me feel this is me and that's it but it shuts this me from all else as not me but when we discover the divine does this sense of me disappear will it changes into a center which will be used by the divine for his purposes then of course uh, we spoke about the methods of vedantic knowledge and the pure existent and uh, conscious force where we see uh, beautifully shobindo describes this uh, sankhya philosophy in such a wonderful way all phenomenal existence resolves itself into force in the ancient images by which human thought attempted to make this origin and law of being intelligible and real to itself 
this infinite existence of force was figured as a sea so again because the existence is infinite as we were you know referring to this force is also infinite it's because it's from that so there he say, he reveals this truth that if we say force exists independent of the existence then we are creating now two realities one which exists and the other which creates that's how duality comes into play but if we say that this force is inherent in existence it can either be within it or emerge out of it by for whatever compelling reason that compelling reason is the delight then we can understand that the two are one the ishwara and ishakti when shakti is absorbed and lean in the ishwara then it is in that mode of uh, the supreme purusha when it emerges there is this creation and the dance begins so this is how we have to understand the relation between the pure existent and the conscious force in us too we can understand we can be in the mode of being an inactive state uh, or witness state or we can be in the state of action so where did this power of action emerge from from within it was all there and it emerges so that is the relation between uh, force conscious force and uh, the pure existent and it is infinite existence infinite force they are together as one when it emerges then there is creation and how this creation takes place that's what he describes infinite existence of force was figured as a sea initially at rest so that's when it is with the pure existence submerged and therefore free from forms but the first disturbance the first shobh that is the word used the first initiation of movement necessitates the creation of forms and is the seed of a universe that's how the nad brahm molded as it is by contacts matter is the presentation of force which is most easily intelligible to our intelligence but actually there are plenty of forms thoughts are forms desires are forms everything have forms if we have the vision to see the elementary state of material force is in the view of the old indian physicist a condition of pure material extension in space of which the peculiar property is vibration typified to us as by the phenomenon sound this is the ether which people discarded it's coming back again because there is no way you can really explain pure material universe so this we have already spoken about and it's if one wants to read in great detail it's a delight reading it from the chapter and then of course um, he speaks in the delight of existence uh, the problem and the problem is this that if ananda is behind why there is pain suffering and evil and here he says something very interesting i'll just read a little bit of this <laughs> this is shubindo answers for us this the real problem is Sachidanand it may be reasoned is god is a conscious being who is the author of existence how then can god have created a world in which he inflicts suffering on his creatures sanctions pain permits evil god being all good who created pain and evil if we say that pain is a trial and an ordeal we do not solve the moral problem we arrive at an immoral or non-moral god an excellent world mechanist perhaps a cunning psychologist but not a god of good and of love whom we can worship often in our talks we have been speaking of that only a god of might to whose law we must submit or whose caprice we may hope to propitiate for one who invents torture as a means of test or ordeal so for once we should get rid of these idea mother is testing me and god testers one who invents these ideas of torture um um stands convicted 
either of deliberate cruelty or of moral insensibility and if a moral being at all is inferior to the highest instinct of his own creatures even as human beings we would rather use gentler methods and if to escape this moral difficulty we say that pain is an inevitable result and natural punishment of moral evil an explanation which will not even square with the facts of life unless we admit the theory of karma and rebirth by which the soul suffers now for antenatal sins in other bodies we still do not escape the very root of the ethical problem who created or why or whence was created that moral evil which entails the punishment of pain and suffering so that's why we see you know one like buddha he denied the existence of god because actually if you just limit yourself to this and do not bring the evolutionary perspective and this that god is imminent in this creation these are the two things which are important one cannot understand the whole mystery at all and therefore shubhendra closes so beautifully again if you look at world existence this of course delight of existence the solution rather in its relation to the self delight of eternally self existent being we may describe regard describe and realize it as leela the play the child joy the poet joy the actor joy the mechanician joy of the soul of things eternally young perpetually inexhaustible creating and recreating himself in himself for the sheer bliss of that self creation of that self representation himself the play himself the player himself the playground you see this change brings a lot of difference if um, people who go to you know army um, and they go through this training tough training in nda if uh, they didn't know what is going to come out of it they would uh, say that what kind of a horror is this but when they know that this is the process through which i must undergo for my own for my own uh, joy tomorrow to come you want to climb a mountain and have the delight of the mountain so one has to train oneself so it is like a training ground so just like children learn through error fall and yet they continue to learn and take a joy in it similar should be our attitude that everything that is created in this universe is meant to make us eventually grow into a state where we can become conscious instruments and in manifestation manifestation um, of that all knowing all wise love ananda consciousness force wisdom that is behind this in this universe so we'll stop here so pleasure pain indifference are nothing but passing phases disguises just as evil is a phase through which one passes to bring out the greatest good so pain of mind and body is a device of nature that is to say a force in our works meant to subserve a definite transitional end in our upward evolution and who is it's not god choosing it and we are plunged into it god is into it and we ourselves in our deepest essence is that when we discover that when we have to say we chose this process so that we can enter into this um, this beautiful possibility of manifesting the divine delight through this wonderful rainbow hued many toned multi layered many tiered existence that we know as uh, cosmos or creation thank you